Welcome to Messages and More, a podcast channel of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. This channel plays our weekly sermons and other content relevant to our church community. Well, good morning. We did have a uh, Memorial Day video that we were going to play, but apparently we're having technical difficulties. So uh, if we can figure it out, we'll, we'll show that to you another time. Otherwise, it is Memorial Day weekend. And uh, uh, Ed prayed for that, and, and I prayed for that at the beginning of the service, and I would encourage you, um, we, we are grateful to live in a country that has the freedoms we do, and Memorial Day is the weekend where we honor those who um, died defending that freedom. So I'd encourage you to take advantage of that this weekend, remember that, honor that, um, pray for those families that are dealing with that loss uh, right now or ongoing, um, as this is a... Um, a significant weekend, and we can get focused on, you know, the beautiful weather and the extra day and all that kind of stuff. Take some time. I would encourage you to remember that. Uh, tomorrow morning, one option you have is to come to the Memorial Day ser- service here in town. Um, if you're free, um, that's, I think, I think I have a slide at the end we'll get to, so I'll, I'll bring it up again. But this morning, we are wrapping up our series on Malachi called Great Questions. Uh, starting next week, we'll be in a series through the summer on the book of Psalms called Israel's Playlist. But we're wrapping up, we're wrapping up Malachi this morning. And, and we've kind of been looking at these questions, these pitiful protestations as as one place called them, and I kind of liked that, so I stole it. Uh, But these protests from the people of Israel and these questions that they keep asking God that in hindsight are pretty pathetic. Uh, God, have you really loved us? God, how have we shown contempt for you? God, how have we not trusted you? And we can find ourselves asking some of the same questions of God ourselves. And especially as we look at our society today, and the similarities with the society that Israel was in, we can find ourselves in the same spot. And so it was good to look at these. And this morning, we're gonna ask kind of the last question, but I'm, I'm kind of twisting it a little bit. Instead of this being one of the questions uh, that we direct towards God, I would argue that this is a question God is directing towards us. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? And, and people are motivated by different things. There are people that are, uh, consequence avoidant people, and there are people that are reward motivated people. And, and one little silly test you can say to you know, which one am I? Am I a consequence avoidance person or am I a reward motivated person? Is to imagine a giant chocolate cake sitting on your counter or whatever snack you have a hard time saying no to. Imagine it's sitting on your counter, it's a giant chocolate cake. And imagine that one of the things you're trying to do is, is, be healthier, do more exercise, and you have this giant chocolate cake, giant chocolate cake sitting on your counter. The reward-motivated person looks at the chocolate cake and says, if I do my workout, I will let myself have a piece of chocolate cake. Who's a reward-motivated person out there? If I do my workout, I get the cake. A few of you, okay. Others are consequence avoidance people If I don't do my workout, I don't get any chocolate cake. Any of those out there? Okay, consequence avoid. They're basically the same thing, right? If you do the workout, you get the cake. If you don't do the workout, you don't get the cake. But we're motivated by differing things. Some of us, the reward is more motivating than the the consequence. For others, the consequences are more motivating than the reward. 
And uh, I'm, I'm definitely a reward-motivated person. If that cake or whatever snack I so desire is sitting on the counter, that will motivate me to do exercise, to get that snack. I am much better at that than I am at the consequence avoidance. Um, but, but we're all different. And, and I bring that up because Malachi, God, through Malachi, is going to kind of give a little of both in this passage. There's going to be some promise of reward. There's going to be some promise of consequence. And I'm not giving you permission to, like, just go with the one you value. Ah, I can ignore that one. Like, it's scripture. We need to evaluate that. But I think it's incredible that God, in his uh, diversity in who he is, gives us both. And, and, and I think God is really trying to reach out to all of us to say, wherever you're at, whatever motivates you, whatever guides you, I can speak to that. And there's a little bit of both going on. And so this challenge in Malachi is directed at all of us as well, right? Because we are making decisions on this earth that are in, 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 in failed human bodies in a broken temporal world, we're making eternal decisions, we're making decisions that have eternal consequences. And so, and so it's a significant conversation that we need to have. What are you waiting for? And so the challenge here at the end from God is directed at us as well. And we see some motivating ideas presented in this passage. So that whatever is causing us to trip up and not move, whether it's we don't like the consequence, we don't like the reward, we don't believe in it, whatever it is that is causing us to wait, the goal here is to be motivated to say, hey, what am I waiting for with my relationship with God? What am I waiting for? And so there are consequences for our behavior, positive and negative. And our first, our first motivator this morning is a warning. The first thing we have in Malachi is a warning. And um, in a second, you'll see a picture of a car. Actually, you've seen it a couple of times because of our technological difficulties. This is an 87 Chevy Nova. This was my first car. Not this exact one. I couldn't find an actual picture of my car, but it, that's the color it was. Mine had more rust on it, but it was that size, that color. Uh, 87 Chevy Nova, five-speed manual transmission, uh, top speed of about 62 miles an hour. And then the whole thing started to shake. Um, but that was the car I drove all through college. And there was a point in time in my life where I could fit all of my worldly possessions in that car and the trunk didn't lock. Real safe and secure, quality vehicle. But that was my first car. And a couple of things come to mind when I think of that car. One is I was on my internship uh, serving at a church in rural Wisconsin. And I was driving this car through a Kmart parking lot, which I know sounds like the start of some kind of redneck joke, right? Kmart parking lot, rural Wisconsin. But I was driving across, hit a pothole, and no lie, the entire parking brake cable fell off. It was so rusted, the entire cable just clunk and fell down. And I no longer had a parking brake, which was a great gimmick to play on people. Go down the freeway and just yank the handle. A lot of fun. Um, the other thing that comes to mind actually happened here. I was in my final year at Crown. I was living in Plymouth and I was attending school at Crown. And I would drive like through Navarre around the lake and I would get on 44 and come down to seven by St. Bonnie, if you know that stretch of the road. Right now it's the Lake Minnetonka Regional Park is right there. That wasn't there then, but that was about the spot in the road where all of a sudden I saw flashing lights behind me. And I pulled over and again, it was one of those moments where I knew everything I was doing was legal. 
I wasn't speeding. I wasn't changing my CD player. Who am I kidding? It didn't have a CD player. But I wasn't doing anything wrong. And I got pulled over. I thought, what am I doing? And the police officer walks up to me and he goes, do you have any idea why I pulled you over? Honestly, no. Like, I, granted, there's plenty of times I should have been pulled over and wasn't. But in this exact moment, I am clean. He goes, you don't have a license plate. Sure I do. I've got a license plate. He goes, in the back you do. He goes, not in the front. <clears throat> Minnesota law, you need them in both places. I said, I'm sorry, officer. I, I really think I do have a, I did have a license plate up there. He goes, no, no, come on out. Made me get out of the car, walked around to the front. And I showed him the rusted out bolts that had rusted through and the license plate had fallen off. So somewhere between Plymouth and there, my license plate bolts had rusted through and it had fallen off. And I didn't have a license plate in the front. He said, I get it. He goes, accidents happen. He, when I showed him the rusted out bolts, and I think he looked at the rest of my car and realized this is reasonable, um, he, he gave me a ticket. But it wasn't a normal ticket. It was a warning ticket, which the first time I'd ever gotten one. I didn't know what this was. He gives me this ticket, and he says, you have seven days to get a new license plate. If you get a new license plate, you come in, Somebody will come out, look at your car, see the license plate, they'll take the ticket away and they'll revoke it. Don't get a license plate, gotta pay the fine. I had a choice. I'd gotten a warning, a warning that was telling me that I had the opportunity to cease certain behavior and receive a reward, lack of ticket, or continue in this negative behavior, driving around with a rusted off license plate and receive a fine. I had a choice. And that's kind of the imagery we get here in Malachi. The passage starts with a warning of a similar idea. Malachi 4, verse 1. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. And so here we have an opportunity. We see the warning. Continuing in the way you go, and a day is coming. For me, it was seven days out. For us, we don't know how far out it is. A day is coming when there will be a consequence if you continue in the pattern you're going. If you continue to drive around without a license plate on the front of your car, eventually, there will be a consequence. Seven days for me. But the image we have here is of stubble. Stubble is easily burned. Yesterday, last night, we had a campfire, and we had pulled some weeds, and they'd been sitting on the... Uh, front step of our house all day in the sun, in the heat, separated from the ground. And we had a campfire and I took that handful of grass and threw it in the fire pit and it burned up pretty quickly. Stubble burns quickly. It's dry. It's worthless. There's no fruit attached. There's no point in keeping it. Stubble has no value. And what remains behind after you've harvested the fruit in a field, like wheat, a grain, what is left behind is the stubble. And there's no value. But the second image we have here is also of a furnace, and it's referencing back to last week. Last week we talked about the refiner's fire separating the, the gold and the dross, right? And, and showing the value of the metal, and it survives and is purified and made better. And the contrast here is clear. Those who are in Christ, we are the gold. We are the ones that we still have the opportunity when we experience the fire to remove the imperfections, to remove the sin in our life, but we, we are shown to have value because of who Jesus Christ is. The stubble is put into the same fire and it vanishes. 
it's gone. And John the Baptist references the same idea when he talks to the Israelites about repentance in Matthew 3. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. And so for those of us that are consequence avoidant, this is our consequence avoidant system. This is the consequence. What separates the righteous from the unrighteous, what what makes us last in the fire versus the stubble is repentance. That's what it is. It's not anything we do. Our consequence avoidance system isn't be better, be more perfect, be holier, be more right. It's repentance. We cannot do it. Have we asked Christ to cover the consequences of our sins? Have we turned to him in repentance? That is how we avoid the consequence. The ticket has been written. Our choice is to turn to Christ in repentance and have it revoked or risk it. When I had the missing license plate, I could have risked it. I could have kept driving. I didn't. I couldn't afford that. I couldn't afford the risk. Where are we taking that unnecessary risk? Have we turned to him in repentance? If so, we need not fear the coming judgment. We stand righteous. We are justified. The Bible says in Romans 3, 23 and 24, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And so if we have put our trust in him, we don't need to worry about the day of the Lord, but the consequence is there. How are we gonna respond to the ticket? And so that is our warning, but along with the warning comes a promise in verses two and three. And there's a lot of imagery in this promise um, because the reality of God is very hard for us to understand. This imagery of what life is like after the, after the end, when, when we die, what's, it's hard for us to comprehend, so there's a lot of imagery here. And so I'll try and share as much as I can the context of this passage, but don't focus too much on that. Hear the promise. The promise is, in our repentance comes healing. The promise is that for those who are living for Christ, we will one day see true judgment of the world, but the promise is that God is still in control even when we feel like our world and life is falling apart. So hear the promise, Malachi 4, verses 2 and 3. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. And God is often described as light. And we almost get a contrast with the same light. The same sun that brings healing to one burns up the chaff in the other. Again, thinking about that grass on the, on the step, the grass that's plugged into my yard that is, that is got a root system and water and nutrients, it's thriving in the sunshine and the grass that's sitting on the curb is withering. It's the same sun, the same thing we experience as healing is pain to somebody else. And I think we can relate to this because when you are in a deep sleep and somebody comes and shines a flashlight right into your eyes, it is painful. But when the power goes out and that flashlight turns on, it is comforting. It's the same light. Our situation is what makes it feel healing and whole versus painful. 
If you are in right relationship with God, the light of his glory shining into every aspect of your life and revealing those parts of you that are not how God would want them to be is refreshing and joy-filling. And we get this image of a frolicking calf. But the person who's not in right relationship experiences the same exposure from God's light and it is pain and it is hurt and it is shame-filled. But God is light and he is our ultimate source of revelation and truth. And the prophet Isaiah shares a similar imagery in Isaiah 60. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. And so for those of us that have heeded the warning and have turned in repentance, the promise here is a promise of healing. The promise that this light will bring healing to every aspect of our life. Physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing, relational healing. We have that opportunity in the exposure of God's light. But if we are in a wrong relationship, it burns. And it feels entirely different even though it is the same light of God. I shared a while ago the opportunity I had to go sailing with my father-in-law when we went to Boston to Maine. I had another opportunity to go with him in March several years ago, and we sailed from the Bahamas to Florida, uh, which is a much more pleasant experience, especially in March. Because when you get off the airplane in the Bahamas in March, that sun feels warm and pleasant and joy-filled and, and I'll say it, healing. After a long winter, standing out in that sun, that's a healing experience for people like me. I'm very weather motivated. However, I didn't put on sunscreen for the first day I was there. The first day on the water. And I don't know if you've noticed, I don't have a whole lot of hair on my head by choice. And I didn't put sunscreen on it. And I was so concerned about going down, my sunscreen was in the boat and I was kind of on the verge of some seasickness again. I didn't want to go into the boat and get the sunscreen, nor do I like asking for help. So I stood out on the deck, bald head and all. By day three, that sun was not a pleasant experience. It hurt, it was painful. By the time I flew back to Minnesota, I looked like a leper. The peeling, the, anyway. I felt bad for the person sitting next to me. They probably thought I had something contagious. But the same sun and one moment feels healing when we get exposed to who God is and he shines his light into every part of our being that can bring healing if we give it over to him. That is the promise. If we give that sin over to him, the promise is a promise of healing. But again, those who have not heeded the warning are also shown and this promise is one we do not like to dwell on. We don't like to talk about the eternal consequences of sin and rebellion against God. We don't like to talk about hell. We don't like to talk about eternal consequences. <clears throat> but the promise of my lost license plate ticket shows that there were still two sides. And the same is true here. The promise requires both sides. They can't promise a reward of no penalty if there is no penalty. You need both sides and the promise is here as well. And often people ask the question of God, how can a good God send people to hell? And I think we see in this passage and throughout scripture that the idea isn't that God is, is sending people off to hell like some vindictive kid on the playground who's mad because he got picked last. You didn't pick me, so therefore I'm gonna, I'm gonna punish you. 
but rather the image we see in scripture is of a God who time after time after time extends an invitation and extends an invitation and extends an invitation only to have the person say, no, I don't want it. And ultimately God has no choice but to honor that decision. Or as C.S. Lewis put it in The Great Divorce, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. And unrepentance is a choice in the same way that repentance is a choice. And as we live toward the promise of God's judgment, we are either responding in God's way or we are rejecting him and saying, no, God, I want it my way. I want it my way. I want it my way. And ultimately, God will eventually, when that day comes, look at us and say, all right, have it your way. And the true tragedy of hell is that separation from God. It's that eternal separation that people after an entire lifetime of God reaching out finally experience what life is like without God at all. And that is the true tragedy. And so for us in this room, where do you need to live into the promise of God by responding in repentance? Maybe you're a person who has never responded to God. I would say, we don't know when that day is coming. Take advantage of it today. Respond in repentance. But there's others of us that maybe have responded ultimately in repentance to God, but still haven't given everything over. There's spots where God's light is shining into our life and it is still painful because it's exposing things that hurt and it brings up shame and it brings up embarrassment and we don't want to deal with it. And I would say the same thing to you. What are you waiting for? We have the promise of healing. Respond. But our passage moves on from a warning and a promise to a reminder the reminder here is the so what delivery from the last one. So what? How do we respond to God with eternity in mind? If we live in, in an eternity mindset, what does that mean? How does that change how I live today? Malachi 4.4, remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. And it's interesting that he points to the law. Because if you remember at the start of Malachi, we talked about this is a group of people that was following the letter of the law, but not the spirit. They were doing what they could to follow the legalism side of the law, but they were not letting it affect their heart. And so it's interesting that he points to the law again. How does this not become legalism? And I think the secret here is in the words Mount Horeb. because the people of Israel had been, <clears throat> had been following, excuse me, the letter of the law, but not the heart. And this is the call back to the heart of the law. Hosea 6.6 6 reminds us, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. And like I said, Malachi references Mount Horeb, and I think that's our key because Mount Horeb is a spot that God seems to call the people of Israel to back time and time and time again. And the reference here is the reference to the continual history of God protecting his people. Mount Horeb is the same mountain which Moses first encountered God in the burning bush. Mount Horeb is the same mountain where God first brings water from the rock, Exodus 17. And it is the same mountain that Moses receives the Ten Commandments. It's also called Mount Sinai. But he calls it Mount Horeb. It's the same mountain, and we'll see it come up through Israel's history again and again and again. Mount Horeb is referenced in Exodus and Deuteronomy 12 times. 12 times. 
And so what, what Malachi is doing, what God is doing through Malachi is referencing time and time again how God has preserved them in the face of adversity and how God has worked in them even when they were disobedient. It's getting to the heart of the law, the heart of the covenant. Its name runs the people of Israel through an entire litany of experiences. Their deliverance from slavery through the work of Moses, who first tried to do it on his own power by killing an Egyptian. And God has to bring him to repentance before it works. The water from the rock, in spite of the fact that they were grumbling and saying it would have been better for us to stay and die in Egypt. Or the Ten Commandments that God, God gives Moses while they are actively worshiping the golden calf down at the foot of the mountain. But God is continually faithful to them all through. And are we really that different? How often do we, like the Israelites, grumble and complain to God only to see him move and we forget to recognize it? How often have we tried to do something in our own power when we finally give up, God does it, and then instead of being grateful and realizing we can't do it in our own power, we look and go, well, where were you last time? Are we really that different? What are the Mount Horeb experiences in our life that we need to go back to to remember God's promise for us? So let me take you through the same historical and cultural paradigms that Israel went through and apply them to your own life. Where are we still living in slavery to sin and temptation, trying to do it on our own? Where are we grumbling about God's provision in our life? And where do we reject the worship of Almighty God by putting the work of our hands before the work of God? Where are we just as guilty of the Israelites of in spite of all that God has done, we grumble and we complain and we fall down and worship the works of our hands? Where is our Mount Horeb here? Where is that promise that we need to look back and go, God, you've moved time and time and time again and I need to recognize that. And so the call for us is the same as it was for Israel. We need to move beyond behavior modification and let God actually move in our hearts, and we do that through the thoughtful application of his word. That's what he's pointing at. Don't let the law just affect your behavior. Let it affect your heart. Look to God's word. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so our call is to let God's word into our hearts to change us as people, not just our behavior. As one theologian puts it, Malachi was calling Judah to a lifestyle guided at all times, not by human wisdom, ambition, or societal expectations, but by the thoughtful application of God's word. Where do we need that promise? Where do we need to push into it? And we start by getting in God's word and letting it actually affect us beyond finding that verse that supports our opinion or our belief and throwing it out there. Where do we actually get to the heart of what God is doing? And finally, Malachi ends with a focus on the future, which is our call to action today, a future. To continue with our theme with Mount Horeb, another reference to it is here with Elijah. So he's going to reference Elijah, and Elijah, if you remember, when he fled because he thought he was the only one left, where does he flee? Back to Mount Horeb, 
Another spot where God promises you are not alone. So the people of Israel read these verses and they would have had in mind this idea of prophetic succession. They see Moses leading to Elijah at Mount Horeb and they see God continually moving. And it's not just that there's only one prophet. It's that God continually speaks to his people time and time again. Are we listening? And so it points to another prophet to come, Malachi 4, 5, and 6. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. And this passage is absolutely filled with references to other prophetic words. We see the idea of the prophets being sent to Israel in Jeremiah 26.5, and it shows that this is not an exhaustive list. Again, it's not just Elijah. It's not just Moses. It's all the way through. We see it in Jeremiah. And we've already seen Elijah and Mount Horeb. And this is the idea that God continues to protect his people. We, the great and dreadful day of the Lord language comes from the prophet Joel. The day of the Lord is also referenced in Amos, both a day of punishment and a day of salvation. And so we see this passage isn't just saying it's only Elijah and it's only Moses. He's saying all the way through, God's message is consistent. He continually speaks to his people. Are you listening? So our perspective on this prophet is the same as our perspective on the day of the Lord. If we are in right standing with God, then the words of Jesus, who is that prophet, are words of peace and healing. And if we are not, they are words of judgment and condemnation. And so we as Christians, we read later that we see this Elijah that he's referencing as John the Baptist coming. And we see that he's, he's speaking of Jesus coming after him. And we see that in Luke 1, 16 and 17. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so we see this future that he's talking about. And a lot of times in scripture, there's with prophecy, especially there's this now and not yet understanding. There's the prophecy that's fulfilled now. And then there's a not yet, it'll happen again. It's fulfilled partially, but not fully. And it's that day is still coming. And we look at this and we know from, from Luke that what Malachi is referencing is John the Baptist and Jesus coming as the day of the Lord. But we also know it hasn't fully happened yet. There's a now, but not yet. It happened, but it's still happening. Perfection hasn't arrived yet. And the idea in this passage of the hearts of the fathers to the children is more than the restoration of the nuclear family. This is about right standing in all relationships. Social, civic, family, work, school, all of these relationships. The promise is that in right standing with God, those relationships can be healed wherever they're broken. And we turn to Christ for that. This day of the Lord is a now, but not yet. And so we stand at the end of Malachi looking forward to the healing God can bring to us today by turning in repentance to him, but also knowing that some of this stuff can't fully be healed until he comes again until everything is made right at the end, until that day when the ticket comes due and everything is fully made right. And so what do we do with that? Well, I think we respond the way our free church statement of faith calls us to respond. The coming of Christ at a time known only to God demands constant expectancy and as our blessed hope motivates the believer to godly living 
sacrificial service, and energetic mission. So that is our call. Our call is to energetic mission. Our call is to godly living, and our call is to sacrificial service. To live out, let God's word permeate your heart, not just change your behavior. Know that there's a day coming and that should call us to reach the world, to reach our neighbor. And we do that by sacrificially serving those around us. But only we can choose for ourselves. So in keeping with our Old Testament theme this morning, we end with the same challenge of Malachi, but delivered to a different group of people at the end of Joshua. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So let me ask you again, what are you waiting for? Where do you need to push into the promise? Where do you need to push in to this future? Where do you need to ask yourself, God, what is holding me back from living these truths out? Where am I living in the behavior modification world instead of letting your truth and your word permeate my entire being? Or maybe as we wrap up Malachi, you need to go back like the people of Israel and look at the same questions we've asked already. God, have you really loved me? And if so, how have I responded? God, <clears throat> how have I shown you contempt? Maybe the temptation for us is to give our good enough. God, how have we not trusted you? And God, what about the future? So I would encourage you to ask those questions of God but not to do it in a way that is protesting what God is doing, but to honestly look and say, God, I want to be fully living out this promise. But God, I need your help. And so I come to you. And if we let God in fully, the restoration that that can bring in our relationship with him and our relationship with our world is huge. But we need to start with ourselves. God, what are you calling me to do today? And what am I waiting for? Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that as we live here in this broken world, God, you are in control. And it's easy for us to think that there's no hope, God, for where we're at, but you are completely in control. God, you are fully present. And Lord, you have the ability to heal everything. And so, Lord, we need to trust you and we need to move into that. And God, we need to move into that by starting to ask with ourselves, Lord, where do I need to repent? And so, God, I confess that there are spots in my life that I have not let you have full control over, God, and I need you. And so, Lord, I ask that your light of truth would shine through, God, and that your light of truth would bring healing to those areas. <clears throat> I pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, a couple of quick announcements before we leave this morning. Um, a reminder, there is a Memorial Day service going on uh, here in Watertown uh, tomorrow morning at the Performing Arts Center. Um, also, June 17th, it's a Saturday, uh, we are going to be doing a church work day, um, just getting some stuff done around the church property. Um, so we are going to be working towards having um, some... Uh, sign up sheets so that you can know what's going to be expected. We'd love to have your help with that. 
Uh, we also are looking for some people to help with summer Sunday school for pre-K, and there's a QR code up there you can scan. We're also looking for some staffing of the bouncy house at Rails to Trails. So those are some other areas that uh, we're just looking for some help this summer, opportunities to serve our community, both in the church and our community and neighborhood here in Watertown. And then finally, we do have a baptism service July 9th with some more details coming, uh, but that'll be a Sunday morning where we'll meet at Lake Rebecca Park and do our baptism service. If you are interested in being baptized, please talk to me um, or Luke or somebody else on staff, and we'd love to help you figure out how to, how to go about that. Let's end with First uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Messages and More, a ministry of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. To find out more, visit us online at wevfree.org.